If you've ever wondered to yourself, who am I to be an entrepreneur, a coach, a speaker, or a podcaster? This episode shows that even from a completely non-entrepreneurial background, you can make that change. This is Podfluence, the show that helps you to grow your influence and income with podcasts. My name is John Ball, and my mission is to help you as a self-employed business coach or speaker to grow your influence and income now so that you can have a continuously thriving business. That said, if you are a personal brand service-based solopreneur, this content can definitely help you too. Nicole Baldini is not just one of the nicest people you could ever hope to encounter. She's also a founding partner of Webinar Ninja and the $100 MBA course and podcast with her husband and co-founder Omar Zenum. Now, one of the things I was particularly interested to get into with Nicole was understanding more about webinars and using them as a tool to grow your business. Nicole shares with us some of the best practices and also some of the things to avoid doing with your webinars. She also shares with us why you may want to consider starting your own podcast and certainly how her and Omar ended up starting the $100 MBA and building that into one of the most downloaded podcasts in the world. When we recorded this show, I was just coming back from quite a long hiatus from not having recorded any episodes at all and just rebranded the show. I say that in the hope that you might forgive me that I was woefully underprepared for this interview. And the reason I put it out, even at the risk of my own embarrassment, is because Nicole is a high value guest and she saved the day. Even with a poor interviewer on this particular episode, you're going to get a lot of value out of the conversation that I had with Nicole. So I tried to edit it to make it as cringe free as possible for you to listen to so that you get as much of the value that we talked about as you can get. That said, if you have your device to your hand right now, do me a solid and click the plus button on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you need to press on whichever listening platform you're using to subscribe to the show so that you can get weekly updates of Podfluence as they drop. For now, pop in your earpods, let's get started. Welcome to Podfluence, the podcast for business coaches and professional speakers who want to build audience and authority through podcasts. Here's your host, international coach and speaker, John Ball. Welcome to the show. And today on Podfluence, I am very happy to be joined by someone who has some, some serious expertise and some interesting business ventures that I am looking forward to talking about because they are all going to be very relevant to you. If you are a coach and a speaker, or if you have an uh, expertise-based personal brand business, this is definitely something you're going to be wanting to pay attention to. So let me formally welcome to the show, Nicole Baldinu. Hey, hi, Did Johnny. Did I say your name right? <laughs> you did. I think I got really excited when I heard you say my name right. Nicole, I've really been looking forward to speaking to you, not just because you are such a nice person. Uh, and when we had a chat before, I was like, you're so nice and, and I'm really looking forward to having you on the show but also because you are involved in some amazing businesses particularly fascinating to me that you have a, a webinar business it's uh webinar ninja is that right correct yeah yeah and it's one of our bit tell us a little bit more about the webinar business and why you started that I wasn't always in business I actually started my career as a teacher a high school teacher and I did that for 12 years before going full-time into, I'm going to do something else. I don't know what that something else is going to be. It turned out to be entrepreneurship, which led to the $100 MBA, and then subsequently Webinar Ninja. 
that's really in a, in you know a nutshell how that kind of trajectory led me to Webinar Ninja, and I co-founded that with my husband and co-founder Omar. And really, the way Webinar Ninja came about was quite early on. I mean, we're talking 2014 now, so it's you know at the time there weren't that many other solutions out there. But we had already started the $100 MBA, which at the time initially started as a business training and community for aspiring people to learn the foundations of business, which I didn't have at that time. Like 10 years ago, I did not know anything about business. And I, and I don't mind admitting that because I've learned a lot along the way and I'm still learning. But Me too. Right? Aren't we all? So we had the $100 BA. We were trying to get new members. So that membership was slowly growing. And Omar started running webinars to teach business, to give little workshops and bring in new members to the $100 MBA. And so, as I said, 2014, there weren't a lot of solutions out there. He's kind of Frankensteining bits and pieces together to make it all work each week. And, uh, and it was really quite a headache to put those webinars together. So it was really early days. He had a little bit of coding and developing skills that, you know, so he was able to do it, but he thought there's got to be like a better way to do this. So he did recruit just a freelance developer at the time to help him create a very minimal, viable version of that first version of Webinar Ninja. And when we were running those workshops, I mean, he's teaching these workshops on this thing that he's put together. Somebody on the workshop asked, oh, what are you using to run this webinar? And he just said something I slapped together. And then the subsequent question was, can I buy it? Right. Of course. <laughs> so that, that makes sense. Because I, I think at the time, I mean, I was doing webinars at that time. And I think pretty much the only horse in town was go to webinar. I mean, it was yeah. like that, that or pretty much nothing. Yeah. The grandfather of the industry, right? We always refer to it. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I, it had its limitations and I'm pretty sure it still does as well. Yeah, I think I haven't checked it out recently, but I mean, I don't want to... It seem to have changed. <laughs> one, one, I know. And one thing, you know, one thing that Omar and I have kind of abided by in it is that we know how hard it is to build a software. So it's right. like, I don't want to ever badmouth any other competition or... Because I just know how incredibly difficult it is. But yeah, I'm sure. I actually don't even know if it still exists. So. Oh, do you know? It's, it's been so long. But there, there's, I guess most people are kind of doing Zoom. I think they are mm. still around. I'm mm. pretty sure I've been on some webinars with people who are still using them. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, certainly they don't have necessarily the functionality that a lot of people might want. Mm. So at least they didn't. I couldn't say now. It's been yeah. so long since I checked them out. So what were the sort of things that you were able to do differently? I think we wanted to create as former teachers so both Omar and I were former high school teachers before we turned to full-time entrepreneurship that interactive element that the less of the one-sided just getting information and not getting anything back was something that we wanted to replicate in the online space right in having that back and forth whether it was an interactive chat a way to ask questions polls all of that. So we're really looking at when building Webinar Ninja and all the different iterations of it, always looking to how can we maximize the interactivity and the engagement and the participation of people who are on there. Um, because like really it kind of became this thing where, you know, a live webinar was the next best thing to an in-person event. And of course we saw over the pandemic how critical these solutions became when people couldn't meet in person anymore 
Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think, well, I mean, Zoom has clearly increased in value during that time and uh, to a point where I know a lot of people still have some Zoom fatigue from, from the pandemic and stuff. But so many people were scrambling mm -hmm. to transition their businesses yes. online who had been mainly sort of in-person, face-to-face kind of things and now suddenly had to have an online presence. Now, some people did that very swiftly and smoothly but for some people it wasn't quite so easy were you able to help some people make that kind of transition with their business that was what was really interesting and one of the challenges to be honest because we did end up having customers who were very new were trying to make that swift transition and frankly were, were desperate to get their business and their services and their offerings online so that they could continue to keep the lights on so you were dealing with customers who, again, were they were used to maybe the Zoom, the meeting aspect of Zoom with being able to see everyone versus, oh, this is different because this is more like a one-to-many stream. So you had to, there was that element of education and getting people there with, what's the difference between a meeting software and a webinar platform? So there was that aspect and there was obviously those businesses that were very physical, karate studios, dance studios, fitness instructors that were trying to make their whole offering work with tools like ours. And some of those really struggled because they have so much feedback from the people that they're working with, obviously. Yeah. And then there were some really interesting case studies and businesses that were very much in person. And I'm thinking of one in particular, Cass, who runs a fashion styling, personal styling business, a next level wardrobe. She's a fashion consultant. She does in-person styling. She shops with her clients. And when everything shut down, what was she going to do? And it was really interesting to see her business evolve and her offering evolve when she started delivering webinars, teaching all the fundamentals of fashion and styling and all of that. And then at the end, offering people to work more with her one-on-one. -on -one. And she was able to continue. And a lot of that, a lot of her business still depends on bringing in new people via webinars and continuing to serve people all over the world. So it's really, it's an interesting time. It was a really interesting time. Mm. Definitely. I know for me, I mean, I've been doing webinars, I think since around 2011, something like that. So I, it wasn't a big transition for me. It was out of something I was already doing. Were you so, what were you teaching? doing webinars. I mean, you could teach me like <laughs> 2011. Wait a second. Yeah. Who's the expert um, here? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I would still call myself an expert, which is interesting, but and certainly experienced in delivering them. No, because I've worked with Tiha Mecca for since around that time okay. uh, in as an online coach and trainer mm -hmm. with them, they had me. So I was initially doing go to webinar stuff oh, wow. with them. And then we transitioned when the industry standard became a bit more like you should be seen on video and mm -hmm. switched everything over to Zoom. But I had to learn, not just learn how to work with the technology, but also to be able to deliver in a way that was going to be interesting and engaging, especially with, if you know how someone who is quite passionate about what he does, and he's very keen that his coaches and trainers have that kind of passion and excitement with people as well. So yeah, there was uh, some experience there, but I certainly still wouldn't call myself a webinar expert. I still learn so much about this subject from so many other people all the time. So I think, oh yeah, I'm, the, I'm no expert. I'm just experienced. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the best I can say. <laughs>
It makes you an expert demeanor. That's awesome. Yeah. Kind of, kind of. But but that brings me to an interesting thing here because delivering webinars, if we even call them webinars, a lot of people now are saying don't call them webinars because mm. people are sick of hearing webinars. Yeah. Is that have you come across that? Yeah, there's definitely like a bit of like we talked about before, Zoom fatigue or a cookie cutter approach that started to emerge. And so you feel like, okay, there there has to be an evolution. There has to be an innovation in the industry because eventually a lot of these things can have a shelf life. They'll have to evolve into something that's, you know, more interesting, more exciting, something new for audiences to consume. So definitely the use of the word webinar is interesting. And I find that too, because we have users all over the world who speak different languages, it was interesting when they're wanting to customize their registration pages, their landing pages, they may want to change the word. And it it made so much sense. Like it's totally understandable. They're not everyone who's going to understand this word. Or then masterclasses became a popular way of referring to these workshops. And I think just people adopt these different ways of calling a workshop, a lesson or an online presentation. I think whatever's on trend and whatever's kind of understandable. So I definitely saw that transition from webinar to masterclass and they happen too, but. Yeah, I've seen a lot more people saying masterclass or event or things like that, <laughs> sure. And I, I get it, just, you know, in when you're doing it in the industry, you want to you want to call it a webinar. You want to say, oh, it's, it's, it's a webinar. But when you're titling it for marketing mm-hmm. and stuff, maybe not. But I see plenty of people who still do that and it's not a problem. So I'm not convinced it's such a big issue with some yeah, people. Yeah. Some people are claiming it to be. Like I see Pat Flynn, for example, still using webinar. And it's like, it doesn't seem to affect his business. So and I think people will still look, look for the value there. But how valuable are webinars? for coaching and speaking businesses to be able to get additional business? Or, I mean, what kind of uses are, do you see people mainly going for with them now? Yeah, I see that, I, I suppose, by thinking of our customer, like our users directly, they're wanting to get more clients, attract more potential clients. So being able to deliver something online en masse at scale like that and get as, as many people opted in and interested as they can is definitely a very effective way to demonstrate what they know, how they can help, build that trust, that that kind that trust that you really do get and see when it is a live webinar especially. So it's we've definitely seen coaches be able to deliver and teach what they know and give incredible value and leave people watching with that desire to learn more, want to have more exposure, direct contact, work with the person. So if they're done well, if they're that, and if that presentation is effective, then that's what you want. You you can only cover so much in forty five minutes to an hour, and so that leaving that desire to continue the conversation further is you know done very effectively with a webinar. Yeah, yeah. So that does lead me to ask you, what in your opinion makes a good webinar? There's a lot of things. There's that participation. The same thing that would happen really on stage as well, if you were giving a talk on stage, asking for that feedback, asking for so quick participation, whether it's the simple, the things that we know are pretty common in the space. Tell me where you're tuning in from. What's something that you're here to learn today? Like, why are you here today? Type in the chat. So that constant re-engagement and very, and what I see really good hosts do is ask very short questions and quick questions that just elicit a very rapid fire, just type, you know, give me an emoji and you 
you just see the chat blowing up with all these emojis when you know they, say, they ask a very simple question. And so just that constant re-engagement with the, and being aware that because you are delivering, and you would know this from your experience, right? You are delivering content via a screen, your energy has to be taken up a few notches. And so those kind of presentation skills come into it. Everything from like effective slides and, you know, the visuals are on the screen. Again, same thing if you're in person. Being mindful of all of those all of those things is still really important in, in, with yeah. the webinar. I mean, there's a, story, a little story I'll share with you. Yeah. <laughs> but when I first started doing these webinars, I'm saying about how Pav likes to have passionate trainers. We have good energy. So half of his partner, Michelle, would listen to my calls. They'd be on like some training webinars with me. And at the end, to get the feedback, like, yeah, the energy's just not there yet. It's just oh. not there. And, and I'm thinking, but I'm really, I'm really working on it. I feel I'm like I'm it up. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm really delivering a super energy level. If I go much higher than this, I'm going to blow people's brains out. Or, you know, it's like, I, I didn't want, I was, I was a bit concerned about that. But you know, they're saying, no, you have to get the energy higher. You have to get the, the excitement and the enthusiasm and just add up more. We want to see that. And if you can't, and, this, and this be, if you can't do it, we will find someone who can. Okay. And, and so that sounds really harsh, but it was exactly what I needed to hear. It's like, okay, th this is not an option. If I can't do it, I'm out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so I have to, I have to make sure I can do this. And so I really, really pushed myself to do it. And uh, yeah, it, it was absolutely right to say that because I, I think you bring up a great point that the energy you have to bring is a little bit different. Like even mm. as a speaker, you have to bring a good energy, a high energy. Yes. Uh, but if you come too high energy, people are going to probably mm. get a bit turned off by it, right? Yes. So we, don't, we don't, yeah, we tend to find no, that a bit too, a bit I, overpowering. Yeah. Yes. I agree with you there. And I definitely think, and I think I took this from teaching days as well. You know, there's that kind of modulation or, you know, if, if you're all, if you're up here the whole time, like you said, it's exhausting. And when the energy is too low and it's continuous, that's, that's a snooze fest. No one wants to hang around for that. So definitely being mindful of those moments in your presentation where you're much more high energy when you can bring it down. If it's something more serious, if you're sharing a personal story, maybe being a little bit vulnerable, just like in person that the, the sentiment behind your voice is going to change. And I think that variation, that variety needs to be present in a, in a presentation as well. Yeah, I do think you have to bring some performance energy to, to these things because there is a because such a performance level to it. I, I wonder what, other than maybe energy issues, what perhaps are some of the pitfalls or mistakes that are quite common for people to make in going into webinars, things like not being able to maybe get people on them or not, to, not uh, running them effectively. What have you seen? I mean, being... Being um, the title, like what, the, what we refer to as like the promise, um, being very clear on and, and creating a very effective title that really gives the person who's registering for that webinar a very clear indication of like, what am I signing up for? Because, you know, giving your email, giving up your time nowadays, you can't take that for granted anymore, right? So they really need to know what's what's in it for them. So. I think a lot of the times, you know, what we spend a lot of time, what Omar spends a lot of time teaching is, you know, making sure that whatever you promise, whatever that title is, you can actually accomplish that in that time of the webinar. 
It's it's like when you're, I don't know if you've ever been on stage and you've seen a speaker just flip through slides and go, oh, I don't have time for that, don't have time for that. Like that can be effective. There can be a sales technique or a reason for doing mm-hmm. that. But really you you want that timing to be right so that the person, the, the people watching, the people attending feel like, oh, I really got what I came, what I what I showed up for. I got that. I got even more maybe through that, that you know, rapport with the host, that interaction, that participation. They get a little bit more than what they expected. Um, so being really clear and what you can deliver in that time and making sure that you do deliver and get that feedback. Like, did you guys get what you came for? Um, yeah. Let me let me know. I'd say that's one of the things, you know, and I think a lot of the times that I think I've been guilty of this too, uh, maybe in your webinars as well, where you want to give as much value as possible and it's very overwhelming, right? Like we, it's, it comes yeah. from a good place, right? It comes from a good place because you want to share as much as you can. But being mindful, especially when someone's on the other side of a screen, that it's really only so much they can listen to for you know a certain amount of time and you really want them to take action. So I think being mindful of like what, what are they actually going to do with the, the content that I've given them and being really clear on that. And sometimes I think it's just an information dump. I think a lot of people go that way. You know, I, I've I've been in, in the Toastmasters organization for a long time, not currently, but you know, from for the from my time with them, it's been very valuable. To, uh, also, to an opportunity to get to help people who are developing their speaking and training skills as well, which you, you learn so much yourself when you're helping other people to do these things too. And uh, so you're getting developed by people who are higher level than you. Everyone's everyone's lifting each other up there. I love that environment. And uh, one of the things, one of the things I see so often with people, especially newer speakers, which they would likely do in webinars or podcasts or whatever, mm-hmm. is the information dump. Is like, oh, they just want to teach and share all this information. They've done all this research. It's like, so I'm going to give you everything I've researched. It's like, that that's great, but it's too much. Mm-hmm. And as you, we don't love that. We don't just want information, 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 because you won't remember it afterwards. Mm-hmm. Even if you take. Even if you take great notes, you probably won't remember much of it afterwards. And so you're right, is some, some simple bits of information, two or three points delivered clearly and explained well with some like how and some action to take afterwards. And so people are clear on what to do with that information is far more valuable than just a whole load of information that you can pick and choose from. And so that's true in webinars, it's true in podcasts, it's true in public speaking, it's like just a it's just avoiding that desire to teach and to yes. over teach and to be sharing everything you know. And you can't pass everything off all at once, and nor should you. Right. Being effective is more important. Yeah, and sh- and having and knowing there's that balance of showing them that you care, right? Like they're there yeah. for a reason. You're there to share something that they're really hungry for. They really want to know. It's going to help them overcome a problem, a challenge, and whatever it is. And so investing in that time as as much as you want to give as much information as you can in actually showing that they're to help and care that's going to create so much more of a rapport and you know a trust in the person who's delivering the content that i think is super important and i'm glad you brought that because we hear it over and over again it's been discussed on this show in its previous iteration a number (laughs) a number of times about how important it is to show that you care and uh, that there are a lot of people who are quite cynical of coaching and motivational speaking and things like that because there have been people in the industry and for a while there was quite a lot of them who 
we might call them, I mean, Mike Winnick calls them entrepreneurs. Uh, <laughs> uh, we, might, we, we might call them sharks or whatever, but people who are maybe, they're just in it for what they can get and they want your money and they don't really care about you. And that's been very clear. They have the slick sales, they have the image, they have the videos with the private jets and the Ferrari, <laughs> whatever else. Think of a few. <laughs> yeah, but they don't care about you. And what you see is, what I see now is far more people want to see that and feel that connection mm -hmm. with the people who are selling to them. So whilst I don't think we've completely moved away from the people who are more, perhaps of themselves are more cynical about mm. their approach to this, just getting money out of the people in the industry, the people who are really caring and showing that they care, I see doing much better now. Yeah. And that that's great to see yeah. <laughs> for, for me that's great to see yeah. i think for consumers as well it's like the connection part is super important and hopefully that carries out into other parts of our lives as well yeah. that would be nice to think that it does oh uh, yeah no i and you said the word connection a couple of times and what's interesting in, in seeing all the webinars that we've done and people showing up to them is that you see the same people showing up again and again right. And there's a reason why they're doing that. It's because they're still working on that trust. They're still wanting a little bit more time to connect with you and to learn more and to build that trust with the person who's on the other side selling or whatever. And so those moments of connection are really important to keep in mind as you're delivering your content. Yeah. You, you mentioned something earlier and I do. I feel like I need to come back to it because I'm pretty sure our listener will be sort of I maybe just listening to this thinking, is he just going to leave that out on the table there and not come back to it or mention it? And he's not. He's going to come back to it now. The $100 MBA. Tell, tell me a little bit about that. So the $100 MBA is now a podcast, the $100 MBA show podcast, but it started out as a online business training and community. So Omar had done a little bit of a stint at Wharton Business School because he wanted to be a great entrepreneur, but his, on, his marketing professor said, well, what are you doing here? You don't get an MBA to, to be an entrepreneur. You don't need it. And so he'd already had a lot of experience side hustling while he was in teaching. And so the $100 MBA came out of just let's teach the fundamentals not me. He was teaching the fundamentals of business. At the time, I had no idea about business. I knew nothing about business. Let's teach the fundamentals of business for $100, like make it really accessible so that people can just get started and specifically start an online business, but also had just fundamental business advice. And so we created this community. At the time, I had very rudimentary film skills. And so I was shooting the videos, editing the videos, and, put, and they were up on them. And we ran that for a while before we launched a podcast with the same name. And now the podcast is the primary focus of the $100 MBA and published over 2,000 episodes. Oh, wow. That is a lot of podcast episodes. Yeah. And, and so... It's the kind of thing I hear, I'm hearing that and thinking, I wish I had known about that when I, when these kinds of things, when I started out in business, although maybe mm -hmm. you're, I, I don't know if your podcast was around <laughs> when I started out, but, but that's the kind of stuff I think, yeah, I didn't know, you don't know what you don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. And like yourself, I came from, I, I was a flight attendant for 12 wow. years. So, you know, it's like, I, I did not come into the world of business having the first clue about mm -hmm. how to run a business or anything like that. And uh, so it was a bumpy, a bumpy ride to say the least. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> You've used that one before, haven't you? That's a good uh, one. I like that one. 
<laughs> trying, trying to put it in, in sort of terminology that isn't too extreme. But, but yeah, definitely it was a challenging path to take. And yeah. now I know that at the time you think, sometimes when you're getting started out, you think you have to bootstrap everything. You end up it's like having a blindfold on in a dark room and pointing a stick to try and find the light switch. <laughs> yeah. And like uh, similar in, as a flight attendant, I would imagine it was similar to me being in teaching. You're surrounded by people in the same job in the same career right and so when as soon as you step into entrepreneurship you realize oh i need to actually meet different people talk to different people have different conversations and then you realize that oh it's through them that i can learn so much from but you don't have that experience when you're coming from career like being a flight attendant teaching really really you don't but i do think the world generally doesn't seem to set people up for entrepreneurship anyway and so most of us are almost conditioned to go into the kinds of roles that that we mm-hmm. did thinking you ha- you're supposed to get a job you should you know if, if your skills are with customers and people do customer service or yeah. if your skills are in teaching and you work well with young people go into teaching you know it's, it's all those kinds of things like you you have to find your box to fit into mm-hmm. in the working environment but that you don't really hear that many people talking about actually starting your own business as a way to secure your future that's always like oh that's risky and that's uh the the <laughs> but no, i think people if covid has taught us anything is that no job is secure <laughs> right no nobody has that sort of job for life or security that you can hope for and i realized that quite early on mm. with the, my job in the airline industry the opportunity was being mm. taken away as things were being restructured in the business. Everything was all about cost saving. And I whilst I got to a point where it's time to go. It, it's yeah. really time to go. And now I'm glad I did, but I just wish I'd been more prepared for it. I mean, mm. maybe you feel the same thing. Maybe that part of where the sort of $100 MBA came from for you as to, yeah, you just need to know this stuff. Yeah, I just, I, I laugh at the fact that I, at myself, <laughs> when and in 2012, when I'm seeing Omar create blog posts for the 100-year-old man, I'm like, what's a blog post? What's a blog? <laughs> like, I was just completely removed from this world of business. And, but I think what I ended up, that small stint when I transitioned out of teaching, I went through film school, very short stint at film school, picked up some skills, started freelancing as a videographer. And then pretty much nine months later, I was already working with Omar and we were building the $100 MBA. But I just learned in that time that the confidence that it gave me was that I, when I joined, when I went to film school, I didn't even know how to use a camera really. I didn't know all the fancy settings and aperture and sh- all of that stuff that I learned. I had no idea. Like I started at zero and I saw that very quickly, like in four weeks, I was able to learn a solid amount to get me started, to get me start, starting to work with clients. And that just really gave me the confidence that in a short amount of time, you could pick up the skills that you need and you can start applying them right away. You're going to make a mess of everything that you do for the first time. Like my first work was just embarrassing, but I improved. I got better. And I applied that philosophy and that mindset as my mindset developed in throughout the entrepreneurship journey. And yeah, within 10, 10 years on, still around. <laughs> Which in itself is is quite something. You know, many people do not go that long in their business. That's so a, a testament to what you've been doing. How much or how important has the podcast been as part of that business success? It's been huge. It's been huge. I think what I've also realized through the podcast and what I saw that Omar was trying to do was 
really building an audience is incredible. It's an incredible asset to have so that you can then continue to create more service, a product and offering that people who are already committed to you, have trust in you, would, might be willing to buy. So the podcast was launched in 2014. We we're very fortunate to be awarded Best of iTunes that year. So that was a huge accomplishment. Yeah. And that set us up for, okay, because there was a failed podcast before that. So we'd learned some, we learned some hard lessons before that one. But when the $100 MBA really took off, it had legs, we realized, okay, this is working. This, we found our voice and we found something that really works. Um, that opened up the opportunities for not just revenue and sponsorship, but speaking engagements. It's a huge marketing channel for Webinar Ninja, sharing yeah. stories. Webinar Ninja gives us a lot of content to, to share on the podcast, but it also yeah. brings customers to Webinar Ninja as well. So Great. I love that. I mean, I, I, I'm not necessarily the kind of person that says that everyone who is sort of a coach or speaker or trainer should have a podcast, but they should. I mean, I feel I feel like this too. I think it's a good thing to have because one one of the things that I see, and I get people actually contacting me about this as well, which is that I'm always welcome the contact from people as well. Just so if anyone's looking, oh, can we contact John or Nicole? Like, yeah, you can reach out to us. We're, we're people. We'll we'll speak to you. So I've had people contact me about that they're trying to be on all these different channels. They're trying to mm. do all content, have content everywhere because that's what they think they're supposed to do and i think part of it is part of it is they see some of the bigger players doing that and mm. don't necessarily realize that there's a whole team of people usually who are doing that and they've had to build up mm. to that they haven't just started necessarily with that but also there are some people out there who are teaching that they need to be everywhere and be churning it out all the time as well. And I do think it's a recipe for burnout for most people. Yeah. And if not burnout, at least just disappointment and sending them to quitting earlier yeah. if you're trying to do too much. What do you think, what would be your advice to people in that situation? Yeah, that's such a good, like, I've been thinking about this a lot because I've, I've been thinking about how I've been, I have a very much a love-hate relationship with social media. I mean, yeah. like it's this one of these, like it's this necessary evil. It's a necessary evil, evil yes. Right? <laughs> and, and I was reminded of it the other day when I was talking to Kate on the podcast, actually. And she said, oh, you guys have done so well. I always remember that you just thought social media is not our thing. We're not doing it. And... And it's true. Like we, when we launched the podcast, it was because we really believed in the medium. Like we saw people have had success, but we also saw this is a great, it's a bit more long form. It, it's a way to really deliver, give a lot of value and connect with an audience, connect with the listener in a very intimate way. And so we just really fell in love um, with you when you say everyone should have a podcast, right? Because it is such a great medium. And then but it takes time, right? It takes a, a yes. long time to, to be consistent. It takes that commitment. A lot of people do give up early. And so I think what I'm, what I see now, like what I've seen, you know, all the social media platforms that have come out and all the different ways to connect with your audience, I almost feel like that influencer model is almost trying to cut through and fast track or shortcut to is something that takes quite a long time and actually takes a lot more. Creating a podcast takes a lot of thought. It takes time. There's a whole process behind it. And that's not to discourage anyone, but I think the product you get in the, at the end is 
is is quite special. And I, I don't know what it's like to go on a Facebook live or turn or an Instagram live. I'm sure that has a lot of value as well. But I think there is that pressure of trying to be everywhere. And it's just like, why don't you just choose one, two mediums that, you know, you really want to double down on and really get traction there before you start to because when you when you get traction, when you have the budget, you can bring on a yeah. team. You can bring on the yeah. team to help you. Exactly that. Yeah. Exactly that. I, I was chatting to somebody just yesterday who he was saying to me, uh, he's talking about podcasting, and he's saying that oh, I said, "What you've been doing? I've been doing all these lives and stuff." And say, "Yeah, I did that too, but I wasn't really getting any much traction with it." Like people say, "No, oh, go live all the time, and you'll get build this huge audience." And it's like, "I'm sorry, it did not. It did mm-hmm. not happen for me." Uh, and this guy was saying, yeah, same for me. I'm going, going live all the time. I feel like it's a lot of pumped energy into it. And it's also kind of lost afterwards. And this thing is like, people are generally not going to go back and watch your old lives on replay <laughs> on social media. Possibly, unless it's really valuable information, they're yeah. probably not going to watch replays at all. Yeah. Um, but podcasts are a bit different. If somebody, fi- If you find a podcast you like, let's say you go and check out $100 MBA, which you should do. If you're listening to this, you should definitely go and check that out. And you listen to some episodes, you think, oh, this is really good. I like this. The chances are you're going to start going through the whole catalog of yeah. 2,000 episodes <laughs> and say, oh, these, the, oh, yeah, I should listen to that one as well. I should listen to that one too. Yeah. You will go through the back catalog. Mm-hmm. The content is evergreen. Yes. And that that is, that even YouTube channels don't really have that to the same way that podcasts mm. do. And right. it was one of the things that I think is so valuable about it is like the the energy you're putting in, it's not a one-time deal. It's not a, if they're not there, nobody's generally listening to it live anyway. Not that many people still are doing live podcasts. No. Right? And, and I'm still not sure that's really going to become a thing. But we'll see. We'll see. We but, saw what happened uh, to Clubhouse, right? That concept. <laughs> yeah. But we also see twi- Twitter are kind of going down that path now with the spaces and stuff. But, yeah. but I also know that they're moving into a sort of podcast thing as well. So they're going to have both. Uh, but I do think some people have been saying pod, live podcasting is going to be a big thing. I don't think that. I think the technology isn't quite there yet. And I think, no, you're, so, you're certainly an exception to this, but some guests are not so reliable. <laughs> so uh, when I've done some live shows before, people sometimes show up late. Yeah. And, uh, and life happens. Sometimes just can't help this stuff. So that's one of the reasons why I think live podcasting, mm. no. But as a format, you have your you have all your content out there. People can come back and say, "Oh, maybe something similar with blog." Oh, I checked out this episode from however long ago, and it was is so good. Or you can even refer back to your old episodes. Like, oh, if you want to know more about this, check out episode yeah. sixty six where I talk about yeah. whatever. That's such a good tool to have, and your effort, your energy is repurposed and yeah. and still available to people. I don't. Know, I like that. Uh, I no, I agree with you. And you and you mentioned when you said the, the noise, you know, that when you're on social and alive, like it just all that content can just get just caught up in this noise. It's super distracting, and people are just jumping. Oh, I got a notification now. I got a message now. Oh, hang on, what was that? Oh, I've got an event to go to. Wait, when is that? <laughs> Where were they before? But they don't even remember. I mean, I knew that happened to me. So it's interesting, like with podcasting, and I, I guess if we take it back to webinars too, because it's one of the questions we would always get asked. Or you stream to Facebook. Why not do just a Facebook Live? What's the difference? And it's like it's that attention. It's that very focused localized attention i'm not somewhere else you know where i can 
see other things and be distracted by other things, my attention is here in this place, whether it's on that podcast episode in my ears or whether I'm just watching a webinar, watching a live workshop. And I think that's a big, a big advantage to these formats. Yeah, I think it's one of the it is one of the things that people struggle with a lot is presence. And so the interview podcast like this is quite is quite an intimate scenario of it's a one to one conversation. Yeah. And whilst we're speaking, there's no one actually listening to us just yet, but people who are listening to it, people who are hearing our voices now, are listening to a conversation that was had a while ago. That's just this way it is. But when you're having the conversation, you're there. You're, yeah. you're in the conversation. Hopefully, you're in the conversation. You're not thinking about everything else that's mm-hmm. going on. For public speaking or for webinars, there's moving bits and pieces mm-hmm. around. Yes. There's, there is stuff that can distract you if yes. you're not careful. And so you do have to get into that presence and be focused on what you're delivering, who you're delivering it for, think about your audience, you know, get out your head, mm-hmm. uh, but be there, be present. And I think it's easier to do in this sort of format. Yeah. We're big fans, in case anyone didn't realize. Big fans of podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I want to—I want to ask you that. What, one of the things, what, one of the things that I kind of preach on, and that Podfluence is all about, is being a guest on other people's podcasts, which you very kindly have come agreed to come and be a guest on this show. What value does that have for you as a professional? A lot. But the first thing I think about is if it's something that my friend said, Michelle, on her podcast that podcasting is a friend catcher. And I don't know if she paid a forward from someone else where she heard that, but I do feel that these opportunities to connect and have these conversations can result in friendships, lifelong friendships. We're friends now, right, Johnny? I'm putting, I'm putting you, I'm putting you on the I, spot. I'm, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be put on that spot. Yeah, I, I certainly feel that we're we connected. We there's, you know, we even we even kind of said the same words at the same time at some point. No, that's rapport. That, that that stuff doesn't come easy but yeah absolutely but you realize people are going to be people for, for who are listening to this are going to be going yeah i heard nicole baldner on this mm-hmm. podcast say that podcasts are friend catches and so you're going to get, <laughs> get the, attribu- <laughs> the attribution for that now yeah no i'm no I, again it, i don't know who came up with it but yeah. i think I thought it was it's a, a good one life. i like that it's a good one i think again i really believe that communication is one of those skills that everybody should be working and refining that it can help us in our personal lives in our professional lives and i do see that exercising the muscle of speaking communicating having a conversation sharing a message all of that you can you, you get to do this you get to have this opportunity every single time that you show up and you get to share your message you get to give back there's collaborations that come out of podcasting being on each other's shows all of that so this yeah there's a tremendous benefit to being on a guest you feel that there are things you've had to learn about being a podcast guest that would maybe a bit different to being a webinar presenter or a podcast host mm. I think being mindful of the energy, being mindful of the, I want to say, I'm very sensitive or aware of ambience. I feel like there's an ambience that's created in, even though it's not a physical, tangible ambience because we're on, you know, different parts and different parts of the world and, and all of that. But being mindful and aware and slotting yourself into the tone of the podcast, I think is important because it could be very jarring. Your listeners are used to you. They come back for you. Yeah, they come back for the guests that you interview, but they come back to hear you. And there's a tone, there's a vibe that's created. And 
So being mindful of that, I think, is important. It doesn't mean you have to change who you are or speak in a different way, but I think being mindful of that is something that I've recognized with yeah. podcasts. You catch each other's energy in some ways. I don't know if you relate to that at all. I, no, I absolutely do. And one of, the, one of the things that was interesting to me, sometimes there are conversations where the rapport clicks in straight away and it goes really well right from the start. Sometimes it doesn't click at all, which is rarer. I think that's a bit rarer for me. I've only maybe had that once or twice. And I probably haven't published those episodes, to be honest. We'll never know. <laughs> You'll never know. So, But more commonly, the rapport kind of clicks in halfway through or two-thirds into the conversation. And so sometimes there's a last part. I think, oh, man, I don't want to end this conversation now because it's really into a flow. Yes. I just have that style of show where like, I, I know roughly what I want to speak to you. Like I, I pretty much knew there, there were things that I wanted to speak to you about today, but we've talked about a few things, but I like to give myself the space to like, I want to go wherever I feel that I need to go here because I want it to be a natural conversation mm -hmm. rather than a prepared interview show, which I know some people do, and that's great as well. You know, yeah. Different horses for courses, but this is my style and it works well for me. But there is that risk of sometimes the rapport takes a while to Yes. to build up and, and still get people saying, oh, is podcasting a thing? Is it really going to last? Is it kind of die? Is like, far from it. It's, oh, like, it's, it's, it's really only just getting started, in my opinion. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I agree. You're right. And I think the, con the type of show as well, as a guest, I always make sure that I listen because I, not only do I want to know what you're after what your audience is expecting because that consistency I think is in, is important as well so I always make time to listen and listen to different episodes so that I can be familiar I can, I can be prepared as well you're right there I've noticed that in a conversation type podcast even if it is an interview but it kind of flows more like an open conversation it does take a while to warm up and that, that juicy, meany stuff usually ends up being at the end because people, yeah. each, we're more relaxed, we're more comfortable, we found a bit of a flow. So, yeah, I can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. I feel, I feel confident enough to be able to ask because I don't think this is going to be the answer, but what has been your perhaps your worst experience, either as a podcast guest or as a host? You don't have to name mm. it. We'll keep it anonymous. No, that's okay. Yeah, I won't name names. I, and I think this might come with experience, but I think earlier on I did, I'm the type of person, I don't like to phone things in. I like to show up. I like to be prepared. I like to be organized. It's just the way I am. It's the way I operate. And so I think in earlier experiences that I had as a guest, when I didn't have any information really as to what I was going to be, what we were going to talk about, perhaps it was even a new show. So there wasn't much that I could feed off and understand like what the audience needs, what the host is looking for, all of that. I did have experiences where, you know, the host would just say, just show up, just be yourself. You're going to be awesome. And I really didn't feel like I did the conversation, the interview justice, because I could have been just that little bit more prepared had I had the opportunity been available to me. And I'm not, I don't want to blame the host because that's, that's not really what I'm trying to say. But I do think the fact that you go into taking the time to do pre-interviews, all of that, some people might say, oh, really? Why? I'm a professional. I can just show up. I know how to, I've done this a million times. Yeah, I, I hear that sometimes. 
But there's so much that comes from, you mentioned, just we already have a connection which can make this conversation go so much better. And I'd say the same thing, just giving the guest a bit of preparation. Like, these are the things I'd like to talk about. This is what I see that you can, this is where I see you can add value. This is where I see you've got some things that my audience can benefit from. Just that little bit of a heads up. I, I feel that's important and I will usually do that in the pre-interview and recap it mm -hmm. as we did before before we start talking just uh, but that this is why I, say I don't like to be too too rigid on the content because sometimes I'll just hear something I think we definitely need to talk about that or I want to go a bit deeper into this or that could be a bit of a rabbit hole let's step into it and see <laughs> and we can pull back if we need to but I like to have that flexibility and I think it makes for a more interesting listen Maybe you see this as well, but a lot of shows just, oh, we're just going to talk about anything with anyone and mm. you know, cover all the subjects under the sun. And like, then nobody's going to listen to your show. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, but yeah, they're not. They're, you have to be pretty specific these days. And uh, yeah. with, without that, like something like the $100 MBA is a very specific yeah, was... kind of thing for people. Like, you, you pretty much know what you're going to be getting. Yes. And, and that has to be the case. It's like, you've got to call it the, you called your show the Nicole Baldenu show. <laughs> What's that, Nick? Yeah. Yeah. Or if I call it the John Ball show, it's like, do people know who we are really that well? Yeah. Uh, no, that's not going to pull people in. But Podfluence or $100 MBA kind of gives you an idea. Yes. You pretty much know what you're going to be getting into before you listen to it. And so long as the content that gets delivered in those things relates to that and it is within that sort of niche, people will keep coming back for it. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And I was going to say, like, it is definitely format dependent. So what the way you show up as a guest or as a host depends on your format. And if you're very clear about your format, that will generally go well. But, you know, with something like the $100 MBA show, the format is so different in the sense that it's a lesson and that consistency of delivering that lesson, that short format, no fluff, no backstories, just here is what you're going to learn today. And it's a very specific topic with actionable advice. If we, if Omar didn't deliver that consistent format and the same and, and pretty much keep his, be good for his word, this is the promise that they're tuning in for, then yeah, the show wouldn't be successful because I think podcast listeners have really come to depend on that consistency. It's just like your favorite TV show. You know what you're going to expect every time you yeah. tune in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Is there a recent episode that you think our listeners should here should check out? We've started what he started to do recently. We used to have a format. Again, it's eight, eight years now since 2014. We would alternate on a Monday with a must read and a guest teacher episode. We've recently started to introduce actually having that guest teacher be an interview where Omar interviews a guest. And recently he interviewed Ayman Al-Abdallah, who used to be the CEO of AppSumo. That conversation is super interesting, super, super interesting. So you want, you want to check that one out. Oh, I, I'm going to check that out. Yeah, yeah. I'm very familiar with AppSumo and uh, that sounds like that's going to be fascinating. And for people who are maybe thinking about webinars and want to know a bit more about Webinar Ninja, what's the best way for them to learn about that? They can head over to webinarninja.com. We have blogs. Omar runs, we run a twice a month, a webinar for anyone who's interested. It's a free workshop. You get to see the app in action. You get some content. You get a lesson there as well on how to deliver a great webinar. So we definitely have a lot of content over at webinarninja.com. We've recently, we launched a community earlier this year, which is, has been really fun, really exciting. We've got an amazing community manager, Jenny. She does an awesome job. So people who end up do signing, sign up 
join the community and they get to share best practices and just give each other feedback on on all that fun webinar stuff so yeah yeah great well look, i'm gonna i'm gonna make sure there's a link to the episode you mentioned in the show notes for people to go and check out listen to that interview but also the link to webinar ninja and to for people who may want to reach out to you and contact you personally that's all going to be in the show notes for people if there was you mentioned action and importance of action earlier if there's one action you would like people to take from this call today what would that be start a podcast a podcast <laughs> i like that <laughs> oh yeah I, I can actually i can certainly go along with is there anything you wish you had known at the start of your journey that if you could go back and tell yourself that you like just well, one sentence or a couple of words just to sort of say wish i wish i could send this message back in time to myself you often know more than you think when that imposter syndrome creeps up and there's that constant self-doubt and lack of confidence oh i don't know enough i'm not good enough what do i know um, just give yourself the benefit of the doubt you might surprise yourself Wonderful. Nicole, it's been, it's been a, a real pleasure chatting to you. You are an absolute delight. You've been very generous with your time and your information. And, and certainly I feel like I've made a friend and I'm glad you do too. So uh, you are welcome on the show anytime you would like to come back, yourself and Omar. And uh, and I look forward to staying connected with you. And, and uh, I will certainly do that through the podcast as well. And uh, I hope people listening to this will do the same. Nicole, thank you for coming and being a guest on Podfoot. Thank you so much, Johnny. I had a really great time. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. And I hope you got some great value after this episode and that it wasn't too cringe listening to me struggling to get through that as an interviewer. So if you've ever wondered how to make webinars part of your business growth strategy and what it takes to grow a top podcast, then hopefully you got some great notes out of today's call. Now you can check out Webinar Ninja and the $100 MBA from the links in the show notes. And also give Nicole's new podcast a listen as well. I want to encourage you as well to come and get your free podcast guest checklist when you subscribe to the Podfluence Weekly newsletter in the show notes. Just so you know, if you subscribe through LinkedIn, there's no free download there. But if you do shoot me a message, I'll send you something else very cool instead. Now, of course, you can subscribe in both if you'd like to do that, but you might see a bit of duplication there. And for anyone who's tuning in for the first time after having heard me speaking on a panel at PodFest this year, I appreciate you coming and checking out the show and hope you'll come and join us next time. For now, though, all that remains for me to say is wherever you're going, whatever you're doing, have an amazing rest of your day. Go and make good things happen.